Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Dale Patkow, one year after Greyhound shut down and he lost his job driving a bus. Global News reporter Joe Scarpelli on this horrible attack on a three-year-old boy. And Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling on how all this terrible crime is starting to affect average Winnipeggers. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Again, is a bit of the song My Last Ride by Dale Patkow. One year ago today, I chatted with Dale on my show. I just want to read a bit of an email that I got from Dale this morning. Hal at cjob.com. Good morning, Hal. Hope's all well, hope all is well with you. Today marks the one-year anniversary Greyhound bus lines closed the doors in most of Canada. The closure has brought back many fond memories for me. I've done a few interviews. I did a few interviews that day, but yours really hit home. Although the interviews were based on the impact of the passengers, employees, and the effects the clothes would bring, you personalized it with the story of your dad losing his job in Alberta and how it affected your family. I thought maybe because you did this, you might want to hear how the Greyhound family are all doing. I think for the most part, all that wanted to find jobs did, and the ones that didn't chose not to. There is life after Greyhound, LOL. I'm working for another bus line now. And if you'd like to chat with me today, I'd love to join you on your show. And uh, he is joining us now, Dale Patko, on the phone. Dale, hello. How are you? I'm good. Yourself, Hal. Great. Great to chat with you. I, I, uh, I've had so many people after our interview a year ago today comment on it because I did get a bit emotional uh, talking about my dad when he was about my age, now a little older than me, and he was approached by the Department of Highways in Alberta and told, listen, you can take a package, or if you stick around, there's a good chance you may not have a job. And I remember how hard that was for him and how he felt like he was letting his family down, and it did. The, the whole Greyhound thing, I thought a lot about you and other people that were losing their jobs at Greyhound. So I appreciate you reaching out to me today. Oh, no problem. Uh, I really enjoyed the last interview that I did with you. Uh, I did quite a few uh, in that uh, uh, small time frame, but uh, yours stood out to me because, you know, you personalized it, and uh, I just... Uh, yeah, it uh, it hit home to a lot of people, and uh, I can I can just imagine what the impact has been over the last year for all these small towns, especially on the Trans Canada Highway, uh, where I don't think there has been anybody uh, filling the void that Greyhound left. Uh, certainly here in Manitoba, uh, with uh, Mohican Bus Lines, that uh, the company that I'm with currently, uh, they've been running up to. Uh, from Winnipeg to Thompson, uh, Winnipeg, Flint Flon, and also doing a whole bunch of charter work here in uh, Manitoba as well. So they've uh, filled in that part of uh, Manitoba uh, for everybody here, but uh, 
the trans you know you know trans Canada from Winnipeg to Toronto and uh, Winnipeg to Vancouver uh, as far as I know is still open with maybe small companies here and there popping up and how long they're lasting I don't know before I get to you, because I want to know how you're doing and other people that you've stayed in touch with that used to work at Greyhound, how is this new bus line doing? You're driving the buses. You're uh, behind the wheel. Are the buses full? Is there a demand for this? Uh, it, it's fantastic. I have a day run with uh, Mohican Bus Lines, and uh, they've been treating me well. Uh, the people that uh, have been traveling uh, with us seem to like what we're doing we got the wi-fi and uh you know plugins for on most of the buses anyways for the phones uh so the trip doesn't seem as long for them um in newer equipment maintained equipment and uh they seem to be enjoying it good and how are you a year later i'm good i um i miss greyhound is the i miss all the passengers i miss the uh uh, the the people that I worked with, the people that I met down the road, uh, you know, it's, that part is tough for me, but uh, making new friends now here and, um, you know, people that travel currently on the bus and so forth, uh, yeah. yeah. So when life ended at Greyhound, it started at Mohican for me. Right. And that song, My Last Ride, you did that song with somebody you met on a bus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Glenn. Glenn Green uh, is his name. And uh, we still get together every once in a while. And uh, we haven't actually sat down and wrote anything since then. But, uh, yeah, we still get together. He comes out to the lake and uh, entertains the whole family for us. (laughs) It's pretty good, yeah. And my last uh, ride, that song, which people heard a bit of there, was actually a video that went on YouTube. And how many people have checked out that video in the last year, Dale? Uh, It's just, I checked this morning, actually. It was 10,400 and something. So, yeah, it's done pretty good actually for my youtube channel anyways and uh i wish somebody uh more famous would actually pick it up somebody like paula brant would probably do a good job on it or i uh, was the other guy uh, george canyon i was thinking of well uh, we'll put the call out brant or canyon you'd, you'd you'd let the either one of them record it eh oh for sure yeah <laughs> then i could retire fully sure Good for you. Hey, uh, so you're well, and I'm glad to hear that, and I really do appreciate you reaching out to me today. Uh, that meant a lot to get your email this morning. How about other people that worked at Greyhound with you? How are they doing? You said in the email that most of them that wanted jobs found jobs. Uh, yeah, there's a few guys that went uh, to drive truck. A few other drivers uh, went uh, to drive bus at the other companies. Uh, actually, I think we have... Three of them, uh, well, four, including myself, over at Mohican. So I would say a good, you know, 50, 60% of us are Greyhound drivers over at Mohican. So, um, yeah, well, like I said, uh, life after Greyhound, you know. Yeah, well, life does and have to go on. good jobs. So. Yeah, and, and life does have to go on. But you know what? I, I don't think... Well, you tell me uh, what the loss of Greyhound means for this province and in, in this country, do you think? I don't think there's ever going to be a carrier back here that will ever take over what Greyhound had. And I don't think anybody realized what the drivers, the company did uh, to, to maintain the 
customers that we had, even though we went through a lot of cutbacks and so forth. Uh, there's just, you know, the infrastructure that we had, the agents all over the place. Uh, it's it's just never going to be to start over again is going to be just about impossible. Yeah. Well, listen, Dale, I'm really glad you're well. Thanks a lot for joining us here a year later. And, uh, and I'll let you know if we hear from Paul Brand or George Canyon. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I thank you so much, uh, Hal. Thank you, Dale. Dale Patkow, he was a former Greyhound bus driver one year ago today. His last ride. Global News reporter Joe Scarpelli joins us now. It's the big story right now at CJOB.com. You can read all about it. I'm sure you've been hearing about it. The headline says, It's inconceivable. Suspect arrested in horrific stabbing of Winnipeg toddler. We heard about this yesterday afternoon. Uh, Joe Scarpelli, hello. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Good. What more can you tell us about this? Really, it is a horrific story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, we just actually uh, just left the the children's hospital at, at hsc and uh, we spoke to uh the uh, uh the little boy's mother and uh, her two sisters and uh you know they are it, it's, it's a really difficult time for them uh, right now it was uh it was even hard for them to come up with some words to describe how what you know what they're going through right now uh we spoke to uh one of the uh, the boy's aunt who uh who lives with him and uh, she described, uh, you know, coming home that night and uh, uh, passing the little boy's room when she when, after he was attacked. And she described it as uh, the cover was over him, so she couldn't uh, tell that he was attacked. And it wasn't until uh, later when her daughter went into the little boy's room, took the blankets off of him, and saw that he had been uh, that he'd been uh, attacked, that he'd been stabbed. And uh, that's when she was alerted to, uh, you know, to, to her friend, her friend, her daughter, uh, frantically, uh, you know, uh, or, um, you know, uh, she 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 went up into the room and saw uh, her nephew uh, bleeding from his neck, and then it was just uh, chaos from there. And this little boy, three-year-old boy, was stabbed multiple times. So uh, the the aunt says uh, says it was it was it was one. The police describe it as uh, as multiple. Yeah. he was stabbed multiple times. So uh, uh, the, the two two uh, again some con- conflicting stories mm-hmm. there. But uh, yes, he was uh, he was uh, stabbed with a with a knife in the neck. And what have they told you about his condition and hopefully his recovery? Well, uh, he's still on life support. Um, they are uh, they're staying uh, hopeful that he will pull through. But uh, police describe his condition as grave, and uh, that's the same as uh, as it's been since uh, yesterday. And what can you tell us about the criminal side of this? The suspect. What what details can you give us there, Joe? Well, uh, uh, the the family, of course, is describing him as uh, a monster. Um, police say that uh, he wasn't he he was he had some kind of a restraining order, some kind of no contact order with um, with the little boy's mother. But they were out uh, together at a bar on Main Street that night. Uh, but they were not supposed he was not to have any contact with her. Uh, we're told that. He uh, he attacked her, uh, hit her in the face at this bar, 
she started bleeding. Uh, he was kicked out of the bar, and that's when uh, you know he ran into the home and uh, allegedly did what he did. My God. All right, Joe, thank you very much. Joe Scarpelli, one of our global news reporters on that story. And, of course, you'll hear more from Joe as we go along here this afternoon. Joe's also working on a story for Global News Television tonight at 6. Carolyn Classen from Conexus Counseling, conexuscounseling.ca. Here it is, right here. And she even autographed it for me. Thinking therapy. No to maybe. Making a wise and thoughtful decision about therapy. Carolyn Klassen, how many books do you have now? Three. Three books. Mm-hmm. And do, I'm curious, I'm just going to be kind of nosy. Because, you know, we're friends. Um, do they get better? Like, the first one, did you go, wow, like, do they get better as you go along? Well, they're also very different, but yeah. I'm really proud kind of, of this like one. Kind of like kids? <laughs> yeah, kind of like <laughs> kids. I'm really proud of this one because um, it feels like it is it's something that it's all different chapters and ideas that my clients have taught me over the years. And so it feels kind of like this collaboration, right? Like I feel like I've learned so much from the people that I worked with and the stories they've told me and the wisdom they have gained. And it's just a chance for me to let other people um, learn from what I've learned. Yeah. And um, I'm quite excited to present it to the world. Good. Well, we're going to talk more about it, yep. but I'll just say again, thinking therapy, no to maybe uh, Carolyn Klassen, you can get it at Amazon. And I would imagine connectuscounseling.ca would have copies too, right? You bet. Yeah, we have yeah. copies. Okay. Excellent. Um, I want to start, I really want to start with the bothersome subject and then move on. It's Halloween. I want to have a little fun today too. Um, I had Joe Scarpelli, one of our global news reporters, on earlier talking as the big story at CGOB.com right now. Inconceivable. Uh, that's the quote. Suspect arrested in horrific stabbing of Winnipeg toddler, three-year-old boy, um, fighting for his life in hospital. And uh, suspect's been charged. And uh, I'm going to replay some of my conversation with Joe later on. But this, and now we've got another murder, 37 murders now, uh, the meth crisis, all the crime that comes with it. And I suggested to you, and, and please answer, I suggested to you when I was emailing with you earlier that this now is starting to affect not the real victims of crime. So, you know, people that have had... Uh, Without a doubt, they are very affected. Very affected. And But it's now, I think, starting to affect just average Winnipeggers who hear this, see this, it's talked about everywhere, all the time now. The liquor store robberies, that's another one that I didn't mention. Is it affecting just average people? Is it having an impact? Is there such a thing as PSTD? Uh, uh, um, i got to get my letters right. I do this with the LBGTQ, <laughs> and I do it with uh, uh, post-traumatic stresses. Or Is there such a thing for somebody who hasn't actually had that traumatic experience, but just reading and experiencing things in a community, can, can it affect somebody like that? Well, there are terms like compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma, and I would think it would be dangerous to apply them to to the general public about some of the news stories. But I think some of the ideas that lend themselves towards those topics are things that we can talk about, right? We care, and when we hear one bad story after the other, it's really hard to keep caring at the same level because it just starts to feel overwhelming and burdensome. And I think it can affect... It's sort of like... Um, it raises the overall temperature in our culture a degree or two when we hear that. And so then when we're dealing with our own lives and it's just slightly warmer, then we feel the heat in our own relationships. And so I think it's helpful to sort of put on people's radar that when we hear this stuff in the news, 
um, and we hear it every half hour as we might be listening to the radio through the day, it does start to affect our nervous systems and we feel the stress of what's going on in the city and, it, and that stress leaks out then in our relationships if we're not careful. You said, you told me in an email back to me today that you think crime is changing our identity possibly. Well, I think when you think about, when people tell a story of who they are, and we do that certainly as individuals, but we also do that collectively, right? And so if you imagine a kid who is struggling and they get some bad grades and a kid picks on them, they can just develop the identity of, I'm a loser. And once you feel like, once you tell yourself the story of, I'm a loser, then you start living out of that identity of, yeah, I'm a loser. And I think we as Winnipeg have to be, to challenge ourselves of who are we? And who do we want to be and what story are we going to live out of? And there's a pull, I think, when multiple bad things happen in close succession to say, oh, we're a city of crime, we're a city where horrible things happen. And I think we have to challenge ourselves to say, yeah, we're a city where horrible things happen, but we're also a city where fantastic things happen. And, you know, I've talked to people just this week. I've gone, I went to a fundraising banquet for Inner City Youth Alive where they're doing some really cool, encouraging, wonderful things in different parts of the city, and they're making a difference, and they're transforming lives, and that's also who we are. And so we need to live out of all we who we are, not just describe ourselves as our very worst moments being our identity. Yeah, that's a great organization, by the way. Mm. I, I know that. I know some people involved in that organization, and it's great. So basically what you're saying is, yes, like every other big city, every other city, we have crime, and it's not great, and yes, it's happening, but we can't let it define. Us. We can't let it define us. And I think one of the things that in a weird way actually encourages me is that this headline is, it's inconceivable. This should not happen. And we are outraged and horrified by it. And I love living in a city where this is not okay, where we find this appalling and we don't want it to happen anymore. And there are cities in the world where it's like, yeah, it happened. No big deal. And we don't live in a city where that this is a big deal. This really matters. And that says a lot about our identity, that we are shocked and that we are horrified and that we want to figure out how to make sure this stuff doesn't happen again. That's who we are. We are a city where this stuff does not happen. And we're going to band together to make sure that no other kids are hurt to the best of our ability. You know where else I noticed that uh, sentiment is whenever we talk about the liquor store robberies, the phone lines load up, the emails and text messages pour in. Because people think they have a good idea, and many of them are really good ideas. They think they have a solution. They want to be a part of the solution, mm. not just sit back and allow the problem to continue. You know what I mean? And isn't that sort of part of Winnipeg, right? Like there's this engagement, right? Yeah. Um, we are invested not just in creating a problem, but in developing solutions. And, um, you know, that recent snowstorm that we had, um, we got out of our car and helped people dig themselves out because the gravel was still all melty and people were getting stuck in, you know, in, in their back lanes. And we, you get out of your car and you help and you meet people you've never met before. And I got, I drove, got a ride home with a guy and I'm like, this is not your car. This is all tricked out. You don't have anything this fancy. And he's like, yeah. My, and my one neighbor was borrowing my truck to haul away branches. And then I didn't have a car because we didn't get it back on time. So my other neighbor borrowed me his vehicle. And that's who we are as Winnipeg. That's our core identity is this is a harsh climate. We band together. We look for solutions. We work together. And I think we need to remember that that fundamentally is who we are. Bad things happen. And when bad things happen, we will work together to make this a better city. Mm -hmm. And I guess when we can focus on the good things in our city, right? 
Well, and I think that's important is that this three-year-old that was harmed, this is horrible, and this is something that we are outraged together because we're hearing about it, as we should. But what we don't hear about are all those acts of kindness and all those people that woke up this morning and are helping out their neighbors and are checking in on those people that are frail and are going to uh, help out the kids that didn't get a breakfast and are supplying them with meals. That There are those things that are happening every day, and even though they don't make the news cycle, that is just as much a part of our city's story as the stories that are on the news. Well, and when I had Joe on earlier and we were talking about the story, the three-year-old boy who's been stabbed and fighting for his life now, now, I can't tell you how many text messages and emails came in saying thoughts and prayers. What can we do to help the family? Is there anything we can do? And so, yes, it's horrible. It is inconceivable that this kind of stuff is happening in our city, Winnipeg. But when it does, we need to band together and try and make a difference. The perpetrator, one person did a very bad thing, but dozens, maybe even hundreds are looking to do good things. That's who we are. Yeah, let's leave that there. That's great. Excellent stuff. Um, kind of similar, Halloween today, and we're talking about that. And, uh, you know, I we've been talking a little bit this week. Candy's not great for you. Um, you know, uh, scary movies. You know, should parents let their kids watch scary movies? And, and you said, I got a better idea for Halloween. Let's have a citywide block party. <laughs> Don't you think? I I was seeing on somebody, a friend of mine's Facebook, where he's like, yeah, my kid is now too old, so I won't be going out to Halloween. And there's this part of this like, woo-hoo, we don't have to go out in this cold. But this other part of those days are over because there's something kind of magical about being out in the neighborhood and admiring your neighbor's kids um, in their costumes and trying to figure out what they are because you squish this costume over this snowsuit like there's something sort of funny about Halloween in Winnipeg right like it's it's a it's a bit corny because you have to fit something warm underneath it and um there's just something warm and lovely about people looking each other in the eye and being out in the neighborhood and saying hello and people coming up to my door and admiring them and seeing people I haven't seen for a while because you know people are starting to be more in their houses at this time of year and I think it's a chance to spread warmth in this city and to celebrate each other and uh, yeah, the candy's not so good with you. Um, when my kids were small, we would take a whole whack of their candy and give them to a place where they might have kids coming in that are in crisis, where moms are coming in crisis, and then they would have candy to give to their kids. Like, find a way to deal with some of the excess of candy in a way that can benefit others. But um, let's find a way to enjoy the warmth of the city. And the temperature might be cold outside, but there's warm hearts. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.